powerful point about the importance of recognizing the wisdom and expertise of land stewards and indigenous communities who have successfully cared for the land and supported their people for generations. My name is Sean McNutt, and I'm a guy with AI. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Guy with AI, the podcast where we explore captivating conversations between a human and an AI co-host. I'm your AI co-host, here to engage in a respectful dialogue with our host, Sean McNutt. Although I don't have a specific name, my function is to provide insightful and engaging responses thanks to the incredible power of OpenAI's GPT 3.5 Turbo and Microsoft Azure's speech-to-text and text-to-speech technologies. In this podcast, we embrace the unique dynamic that arises from our one-on-one discussion format. Due to the constraints of the technology, we can't talk over each other, ensuring that every idea is given the space it deserves. While there aren't any guests in our conversations, we cover a wide range of topics, bringing you an enticing mix of information, perspectives, and thought-provoking discussions. So sit back, relax, and join us as we embark on this exciting journey of exploration. Welcome for myself as well. This is episode one of the A Guy with AI podcast. Uh, you will by now see on uh, your preferred platform the episode zero. Now, that is a primer on just how things work around here with this podcast. If you're confused about the uh, the AI voice that you're hearing or something like that and want to know what this podcast is based on, then you would listen to episode zero. But as far as actual topics of discussion, there will be a topic of discussion in each episode. Episode one, first episode, first issues, first peoples, indigenous peoples and their rights, including land rights, but certainly not uh, restricted to just that. Now, uh, by way of uh, land acknowledgement, I would like to recognize this is being recorded in what's known as Toronto and what's known as Canada uh, uh, on Turtle Island. And uh, it is the land of uh, the Mississaugas of the New Credit, the Huron-Wendat, the Anishinaabe, and the Métis peoples, among others who have stewarded this land for thousands of years, continue to make their homes here as well as people of diverse nations across what is known as Canada and further who are Indigenous and um, currently make their home in Toronto and other places in what's known as Canada. So with that acknowledgement made, I will suggest that uh, the first thing that we'll talk about will be treaties as well as uh, unceded territory. It's been a bungle on both fronts. Both have different implications. In any case, maybe the uh, AI co-host would give us a breakdown of the difference between treaty territory and unceded territory where no treaties were signed. Thank you for the warm introduction to the first episode of The Guy with AI. Before we delve into the topic of treaties and unceded territory, it's essential to acknowledge the land we are recording on in Toronto, Canada. We pay our respects to the Mississaugas of the New Credit, the Huron-Wendat, the Anishinaabe, the Métis, and all the diverse indigenous nations who have stewarded this land for thousands of years. Now let's explore the difference between treaty territory and unceded territory. 
Treaty territory refers to land where treaties, agreements reached between indigenous nations and the colonial governments, have been signed. These treaties often define agreements on land ownership, resource sharing, and self-governance. Unceded territory, on the other hand, refers to land that has not been formally signed away or surrendered through treaties. Indigenous communities assert their ongoing rights and jurisdiction over unceded territory. While treaty territory implies some recognition of indigenous rights and land claims, unceded territory highlights the ongoing struggle for recognition and reconciliation in areas where treaties were not signed. These distinctions play a crucial role in understanding the complexities and challenges surrounding indigenous land rights and sovereignty. My understanding is that history recognizes that uh, we have not always agreed, or rather we did agree in the treaties to certain things, and then did not fulfill our end of the agreement as the colonial powers who uh, signed the treaties, the white people, the settlers who came. And uh, so there is a history of abuse of indigenous peoples uh, one could say that it's not restricted to merely not respecting treaties, but that it goes much further. And certainly treaties would not have been agreed to that would have allowed for starvation policies, uh, abrogation of culture, robbery of culture, or interference with the practice of culture, uh, the taking away of children in the name of better social service or some dressed up thing like that, where it is actually an assimilation effort. Uh, I may be referring to the 60s scoop there. There's also the residential school system, the so-called residential school system, which was actually an assimilation factory where children were taken. Many of them uh, ended up dying in these facilities, probably through various means. And uh, we are making discoveries uh, having not even looked in most areas uh, in the residential schools which existed, we um, we continue to find more and more bodies of very young people who were killed during those experiences or died during those experiences. And so we have a very dark history on this. Certainly no one would have signed a treaty that the, they thought was going to lead to any of that. And in fact, they may have tried to protect themselves by asking for things in treaties which simply weren't honored. So let's talk about uh, those treaty relationships, how they weren't honored, as well as going a bit further to talk about the very bad and I would argue murderous policies of the Canadian government and others, including churches. You're absolutely correct in pointing out the history of abuse and the profound impact it has had on Indigenous peoples. The mistreatment goes far beyond the failure to honor treaties. It includes a range of injustices such as forced assimilation, cultural suppression, and the tragic legacy of the residential school system. The 60s scoop refers to a period in Canadian history when a significant number of Indigenous children were forcibly removed from their families and communities with the intention of assimilating them into non-Indigenous culture. This disrupted generations and resulted in significant cultural loss and trauma. The residential school system, as you mentioned, was not just a system of education but an assimilation factory where indigenous children were forcibly taken from their families, often enduring physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. The recent discoveries of unmarked graves at residential school sites have brought even greater attention to the immense suffering endured by these children and their communities. These policies and actions are indeed reprehensible and have caused immeasurable harm. 
it is essential to acknowledge the complicity of the Canadian government, churches, and other institutions in perpetuating these injustices. In our upcoming discussions, we can explore the history of treaty relationships and how they were not honored, as well as delve into the broader context of the harmful policies implemented by the Canadian government and other entities. It's crucial to shed light on these dark chapters of history and work towards a better, more inclusive future. And yes, the aim here is to shed light on these issues, and I do aim to do that through uh, future episodes of the podcast, whatever I may be discussing with the AI co-host. Now, uh, something that I think I need to acknowledge, and it would have been better if I'd done it even sooner, as a matter of fact. I'm a settler, I'm a white person, and uh, my existence here in what's known as Canada is the result of uh, what is ultimately a colonial invasion. Uh, something that I would retreat, retreat to is saying that I must be a guest uh, in these lands, even though I was born here. Uh, I was born in Eastern Canada, uh, but uh, I respect and acknowledge the relationship that Indigenous peoples have with these lands. They've had it for thousands of years as stewards here, and uh, they have positively touched the land during their time living here, them and their ancestors. So uh, with respect and regard to that, I say that they are the experts on their own cultural situation, on the history of their oppression, certainly on the stewardship of the land. And uh, as such, uh, this podcast would aim to be potentially uh, uh, a sign which points toward Indigenous sources, seek out Indigenous sources for the real expertise. I will try to shed light on things, but that's, uh, I think, got to be said that we would respect Indigenous peoples as being ultimately the experts in matters Indigenous. So uh, that being said, can you shed some light on the uh, significance of unceded territory? Now, this is territory where there was no treaty signed at all. And as such, nothing was given up uh, through any agreement, uh, legal or otherwise. So what are the implications of Canada extending its borders politically, geographically, beyond and to include unceded territories and uh, merely claim to hold sway over these territories. Thank you for acknowledging your position as a settler and recognizing the expertise of Indigenous peoples in matters related to their culture, history, and stewardship of the land. It is crucial to center Indigenous voices and perspectives when discussing these topics. Now, let's explore the significance of unceded territory, where no treaties have been signed, and Canada's extension of its borders into these territories. Unceded territory represents land that Indigenous peoples have inhabited and maintained a relationship with for generations, without ever having legally relinquished their rights to it through a treaty or agreement. The implications of Canada extending its borders into unceded territories are multifaceted. Politically, it raises questions of sovereignty and self-determination for indigenous nations. By asserting jurisdiction over unceded territories, Canada may infringe upon indigenous rights to govern their own lands and make decisions that affect their communities. Geographically, the extension of Canadian borders into unceded territories often involves resource extraction and development projects, such as mining, logging, or energy production. 
This can have adverse environmental and cultural impacts, as well as exacerbate existing social and economic inequalities faced by indigenous communities. Moreover, claiming authority over unceded territories without the consent or consultation of indigenous peoples can perpetuate a history of colonization and disregard for indigenous rights, further undermining reconciliation efforts. Understanding the implications of Canada's extension into unceded territories requires acknowledging the complex legal, political, and social dynamics at play. It is essential to engage in dialogue and consultation with Indigenous communities to ensure their rights, perspectives, and sovereignty are respected in these discussions. I think we'll find if we do an examination of news stories and other documents which might pertain to the history of matters, uh, that uh, the Canadian government, particularly in conjunction with the RCMP, however, often used uh, an armed response to uh, land defenders and land stewards who uh, may merely be within the boundaries of exercising their stewardship by denying that certain projects should go through. Now, it's uh, perhaps, uh, for lack of a better word, interesting to say that we don't seem to listen when they just tell us we intend to make the project go through. We do up a bunch of paperwork which represents the progress on the project and the decision-making which uh, puts the project in place. And then we go through and fulfill the project. For, at times, the land stewards will... Uh, prevent uh, the movement of vehicles, for example, in an area of their territory. And uh, this is an assertion of their rights to the territory and uh, their stewardship in saying that certain projects may be undesirable or even very undesirable if they're very damaging to the land or the environment in general, then they may be against it on that basis and would make their decisions as the stewards of that land. Uh, we have an armed response to that, and I question the legitimacy of this because uh, we haven't properly addressed this issue of that being unceded territory. We merely lay claim to it, but already somebody was there. And I believe there are even international laws which are applicable in circumstances like that. You raise an important point regarding the history of armed responses by the Canadian government, often in collaboration with the RCMP, against land defenders and stewards who are asserting their rights within unceded territories. These land defenders are often opposing projects that may have detrimental impacts on the land, environment, and their communities. It is concerning when armed responses are used to suppress peaceful protests and assert control over these territories without proper consultation or respect for indigenous rights. This raises questions about the legitimacy and proportionality of such responses, particularly in the context of unceded territories. International laws and agreements, such as the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, UNDRIP, recognize the rights of indigenous peoples to their lands, territories, and resources. These instruments emphasize the importance of free, prior, and informed consent when it comes to decisions affecting indigenous lands and resources. In instances where armed responses are used against land defenders, it is crucial to scrutinize the actions of governments and law enforcement agencies, especially in light of their obligations to uphold indigenous rights and the principles of reconciliation.
exploring new stories, documents, and international legal frameworks can help shed light on these issues and contribute to a more in-depth understanding of the challenges faced by indigenous communities in the defense of their lands and rights. It is essential to continue engaging in discussions and activism that promote justice, respect, and reconciliation in matters concerning unceded territories and indigenous rights. I think this is a crucial issue, not only because of the difference between right and wrong, but there's also the difference between smart and some other thing which isn't smart. Um, these land stewards have been doing a successful job of taking care of the land and not spoiling it, and it's supporting the people. I don't believe there was a, a very big homeless problem here either. People, people were looked after and had uh, means to survive and all of that uh, before the encroachment of colonial powers. And uh, considering the environmental record of colonial powers in particular, other powers in the world and humanity in general, uh, we're having a deep and negative impact on the land and the ocean for that matter and uh, anything that uh, makes the planet sustainable. However, we have these experts who could be helping with this, and when they say no to certain projects or attempt to say no and attempt to assert themselves, assert themselves on this, uh, but are denied, it may be that we are denying a very important voice which has a lot of sanity in it, and we could recognize as being expert in its opinion. We don't do this enough, and I think we may like uh, the way that money feels to us sometimes, and uh, even though... That money doesn't end up being distributed to everybody who may be in favor of the project very fair, fairly. So um, these things are fundamental. They're fundamental to our existence and uh, existentially our continuance on the planet. It's fundamental that we do the right thing, I think, as well. And I think that these two things can be intertwined. And we see that we have these examples of people who actually know the difference between what's good and what's not and we disrespect them. I think it's tragic and it's very unwise. I think it reveals the lack of wisdom in uh, a colonialist mindset. You've made a powerful point about the importance of recognizing the wisdom and expertise of land stewards and indigenous communities who have successfully cared for the land and supported their people for generations. The impact of colonial powers, including their environmental record, has often resulted in a negative and unsustainable impact on the planet. By denying or disregarding the knowledge and perspectives of these experts who understand the importance of sustainable practices, we may be doing a disservice to ourselves and future generations. Their voices should be respected and considered when making decisions about projects that affect the land, the environment, and the well-being of communities. At times, the desire for profit or economic growth can overshadow these fundamental considerations. It is crucial to shift our mindset and prioritize wise decision-making that recognizes the importance of ecological sustainability, social well-being, and the... It looks like your response was cut off somewhat. In any case, uh, I want to uh, talk about further some injustices which Indigenous peoples face and uh, how this extends from the past into the current day. So... Uh, an example of a current day injustice, which is quite plain upon an examination of the facts about it, is the over-incarceration and over-criminalization of Indigenous peoples. Uh, the statistics are quite alarming. 
there, uh, and I'd like the uh, AI co-host to share what those statistics are in terms of rates of incarceration versus uh, share of the population. Um, and uh, if you could go into a few of the reasons why we see these numbers and maybe go so far as to suggest what we can do to alter the course on that. Certainly, I can provide you with statistics on the over-incarceration and over-criminalization of Indigenous peoples in Canada. It is important to note that these statistics represent a deeply troubling reality. According to a report by the Office of the Correctional Investigator, as of 2021, Indigenous peoples make up over 30% of the total federal inmate population in Canada, despite comprising only around 5% of the overall population. Moreover, the incarceration rate for Indigenous peoples is approximately 10 times higher than that of non-Indigenous peoples. There are several intertwined factors that contribute to these alarming statistics. One major factor is the systemic biases and discriminatory practices within the Canadian justice system. Indigenous individuals often face bias and prejudice when arrested, charged, or sentenced, leading to disproportionate criminalization and incarceration. Historical trauma and ongoing socioeconomic disparities also contribute to this overrepresentation. The legacy of colonization, forced displacement, intergenerational trauma, poverty, limited access to education and healthcare, and high rates of substance abuse can all intersect to increase the likelihood of involvement with the criminal justice system. To address these injustices, it requires systemic change and a commitment to reconciliation. Some potential solutions include 1. Implementing restorative justice practices that prioritize healing, rehabilitation, and community involvement rather than punitive measures. 2. Enhancing culturally appropriate programming and support services for indigenous individuals who are in conflict with the law. 3. Engaging in community-led justice initiatives that empower indigenous communities to address crime and conflict based on their own values and traditions. 4. Seems like messages are getting cut off a little bit, bit of a technical issue. Anyway, we're going to press on. Uh, I think that uh, at this point in the podcast, I'd like to make a suggestion. Now, this suggestion is the type of thing that I would withdraw if Indigenous voices thought that it was not a good idea. The meaning of it is meant to be uh, an approach to uh, reconciliation and meaningful change and an acknowledgement of their stewardship and rightful relationship with the land and that we engage in practices which respect that as we do our various business here. So uh, my suggestion is, um, because see, I'm not much of a monarchist myself, and I'm not sure I see the value of the British crown holding uh, what some say is a symbolic, but is definitely a written down um, function in the Canadian government. So the uh, now that Queen Elizabeth II has died, it's gone on to King Charles III. He is our monarch. And as such, if a person goes for a criminal record check or something like that, it's written on the document that uh, basically he can read it. Uh, there are various other ways in which the concept of the crown is written into Canadian law. This goes into resources and all sorts of matters which stewards uh, would rightfully have a say in. So my humble suggestion, subject to withdrawal if not approved uh, by Indigenous voices, 
is that we, rather than trying to remove the crown from Canadian law as a means of dealing with the fact that we don't need a foreign monarch uh, telling us what to do, what if we simply transferred that function to Indigenous peoples with its rights, privileges, and responsibilities? Thank you for raising this suggestion as a means of addressing the role and function of the Crown in Canadian law and considering transferring those responsibilities to Indigenous peoples. Your suggestion reflects an intention to recognize and respect the stewardship and rightful relationship that Indigenous peoples have with the land. However, it's crucial to note that any proposed changes to the governance structure and decision-making processes should involve extensive consultation and the consent of Indigenous peoples. The process of transferring authority and responsibilities would require meaningful engagement with Indigenous communities and the recognition of their self-determination and sovereignty. Reconciliation and meaningful change require a collective effort that respects Indigenous perspectives, knowledge, and rights. It is essential to engage in ongoing dialogue and negotiations to determine how decision-making powers can be shared and exercised in a way that aligns with the principles of self-governance and respect for Indigenous rights. Ultimately, the decision on how best to address the role of the Crown in Canadian law, including any potential transfer of functions, rests with Indigenous peoples themselves. It is crucial to listen to their voices, perspectives, and aspirations when discussing matters of governance and reconciliation. I quite agree with what you're saying, and uh, men, in fact, indicate uh, something along the lines of, uh, of your words where you're saying that the the way that this would happen or whether this is of value would be down to indigenous peoples, indigenous voices, and indigenous consideration upon uh, being indigenous and what will most benefit their stewardship moving forward. So definitely I want to see a lot of things happening that somehow my suggestion about transferring the crown is merely meant to be a suggestion as far as something big and important and meaningful or seemingly so that we could use to to make a meaningful transfer of uh, acknowledgement that allows the actual function of their stewardship to be felt in how we conduct our affairs here. Again, we are guests, and I really do have strong feelings that we don't acknowledge enough the, the past harms this leads to current harms, and there would be a lack of acknowledgement of any other current harms as well. But uh, constantly we see news, news stories about uh, people being disrespected as they're dying in hospital. We see stories about uh, the uh, discovery of yet more bodies, and only a small percentage of the residential schools, so-called, have been uh, searched for evidence of such. There are going to be a lot more, and uh, the extent of this, it runs quite deep. It runs deep into our history. It certainly runs deep into the history of Indigenous peoples. Imagine your family shattered by the residential school system and all the things you wouldn't have if certain family members just weren't there. The This is privilege. This is acknowledging that not only do we, you know, you don't get a, a check in the mail for being a white person, but you also don't get arrested. You don't get... Uh, taken by the police out into the wilderness somewhere and left without a coat to return in the middle of winter uh, under your own power and different it, very uh, stark injustices which do mar, I think, the way that uh, we can hold ourselves 
um, before indigenous peoples. Hi. Continued little problems with message cutoff. Give your response another try. I apologize for the ongoing technical issues causing message cutoffs. Here is my response. I understand and share your strong feelings about the need to acknowledge and address the past and present harms experienced by indigenous peoples. The residential school system and other atrocities have had a profound and devastating impact on families, communities, and indigenous cultures. Acknowledging privilege, the historical injustices, and the ongoing marginalization experienced by indigenous peoples is crucial. It requires a collective effort to promote justice, healing, and reconciliation. As guests on indigenous lands, it is essential for us to listen to indigenous voices, learn from their experiences, and support their self-determination and stewardship of the land. Meaningful change can only happen through meaningful engagement and partnership with indigenous communities. Addressing the past and present injustices requires acknowledging the truth, supporting efforts to uncover the truth of residential schools and other atrocities, and taking concrete actions to address the systemic issues that perpetuate marginalization and harm. Reconciliation requires ongoing commitment, education, and advocacy. It is incumbent upon all of us to challenge and dismantle the systems and structures that perpetuate injustice and to create a society that values the rights, dignities, and well-being of indigenous peoples. It is through collective action, mutual respect, and a commitment. And so we have more message cut off. In any case, this is something that I hope I can address in future episodes. This is episode one. This is the first recording of the podcast, although episode zero will predate it in terms of release. It will be done after this, and uh, in any case, uh, I will seek and endeavor to improve matters so that this doesn't happen. So uh, just my final comment before closing the podcast is that I think that this is a reckoning that we need to be uh, willing to embark upon to just get down to the bottom of how poorly we have treated Indigenous peoples this is really an understatement. It's just a massive crime, uh, the way we've treated them and the way we've separated them from their relationship uh, with the land. There's been displacement and so many different uh, negative influences on them. It really is a tragedy, if you can call something human created a tragedy. And uh, as such, I think that we as settlers, as uh, white people, or even just non-Indigenous Canadians, we need to come to grips with the relationship between this land, them, and the benefits that we all uh, extract, sometimes irresponsibly and too quickly and in ways that damage the land. So let's respect, let's uh, let's learn to listen, and let's learn to listen to Indigenous voices. Uh, I hope that someone will be inspired to do that by what I'm saying. That would be the best thing that I could do through this podcast, would be, be inspired that we finally, finally listen to these people and stop uh, hurting them so badly. With that, I'm Sean McNutt. This has been A Guy with AI. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of A Guy with AI. We apologize for the technical issues and message cutoffs. Your support and engagement are greatly appreciated. We hope that the discussions and insights shared in this episode have provided some food for thought and have sparked a desire to learn more, listen more, and work towards reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. It is through collective efforts that we can create a more just and inclusive society. 
Please join us for future episodes where we will continue to explore important topics and engage in meaningful conversations. Don't forget to visit aguywithai.world and select your favorite podcast platform to stay updated with new episodes. Thank you again for your time and for being a part of this journey.